Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Zelvin. That's great. And thanks, Zelvin, for subbing in for me last week. I wasn't here last week. I was away on a bike ride with all the crew. Um, it wasn't a competition. <laughs> but the Hegarty's won. I won't tell you which one. Uh, there was two, first and second. We snuck away. We left everyone else at the cafe having donuts and we snuck off and uh, got a half-hour start. It was all good. Fantastic. All right, I'm going to just wing it a little bit today, as I tend to do, um, but I just wanted to, and I just encouraged Michaela today, it's okay, we have a form in this church, we have the way that we do things, every church has that, but we must always be open to freedom within the form, to follow what the Spirit's doing and saying. So it was just, I was just uh, had a ball in worship uh, as Michaela led us, so thanks for that, guys. But what I want to do, and um, I may need to split this into two messages, that's fine, um, is really talk into, if you've been with us the last couple of months, we just finished off a series called Entheos, which was talking about uh, the God within, Entheos, and what gives us that, that enthusiasm. And um, I just, I haven't planned anything particularly until now, until the, um, I have a bit of a break and then we start a new, a new series. But then as I uh, was preparing this, I can just see a real uh, sequence to what God's really is breathing into us at the moment. And, and what that series did was talk about what happens in the heart and Christians, we're great at this. We create all these things called boundary markers. What does it look like when you're a Christian? What's it supposed to look like? Do you look like an Anglican or a Uniting or a Presbyterian, uh, Catholic? What's it supposed to look like? Are you the do-gooder that doesn't have tattoos or something? What's a Christian look like? You know, And, and so we're really good at judging this. And, and what we tend to do is we judge it quite poorly because we, we, by judging, we're saying, well, they're in and, and, and someone else is out. Who's in the inner circle? So Entheos was all about saying it's not about external indicators, it's not about boundary markers, it's about the heart. Our Christian life has always been about the heart and about this Entheos, this God within, and how we wrestle with this whole idea of building that passion and our enthusiasm for life from this God within. But now I want to take it to, that's freedom. We talked about freedom and faith and following. That's all the stuff within. But what does it then look like? For a Christian, when we get it right, what does it look like? There's, there's all sorts of definitions. There's 600 and whatever rules in the Old Testament that they had to stick to. Jesus boiled it down somewhat. We're going to have a look at those today. But it pays for us to have a, an idea. What would be valid boundary markers for our faith? Because we're talking essentially in this series about reasons, purpose. Why the heck am I alive? Because life isn't that easy. There wouldn't be a story here today, maybe one or two, where it just seems to have gone pretty much perfect for you. You know, perfect home, perfect career, you've done the right college, you live in Pullenvale, you've got a Mercedes. Oh, hang on, I've just described my youth pastor. Um, <laughs> but there, life is not perfect. I could, I could do a poll here of what, what has completely derailed your idea of what life was supposed to look like. Marriage. Failure, career, failure, bankruptcy, disappointment, families broken down, all the stuff that we know, all the pressures. Then you add wars, then you add uh, pandemics, then you add dodgy politicians, you add taxation, you add inflation. Life's really not a bed of roses. And through all this, we've got to try and survive, but not only survive, we've got to look like a Christian through all this. What does that look like? What's valid anymore? You know, in the fog of this life that is ours, we, we sometimes just need to reset our compass and go, why am I getting up and doing this Groundhog Day thing again? Is that what I'm supposed to be doing? What's the purpose of this life? 
And so Entheos set us up to say, well, regardless of what's happening outside, inside I can take care of that. I can be growing the kingdom in me. But now I want to look at your outside life. What does it look like to get your purpose right? And I want to just dive in there for maybe three or four weeks as the Spirit leads us. I've got a bit of a framework that I've used because as as you know, I've said it many times, I have a midlife crisis about every 18 months. And so I've got to rediscover again, why am I doing what I'm doing? Is this still a valid path that I'm on? And so for now, about a dozen years or so, I've used this framework that I want to lead you through to, to rate how you value your purpose, how you value what you're doing and what you're about. Because it's not about whether you've got a job or... Because not many of us here um, get to be a, a vocational Christian or a missionary or uh, in a parachurch organisation. Most of us, as I did for the first uh, 25 years of my career life, was in the marketplace. I, was, I had you know, four different careers in that time. And, and you've got to wrestle with, is God leading me this way? How do I be a kingdom person in that environment? What are the things that are worth doing? And why are they worth doing? And can I live out the fullness of my Christian life in the context that I'm in? Or do I need to reinvestigate that context? So to boil it right back to the basics of all basics, and then I'm going to build from that. God gave us dominion to rule on this earth. In the Psalms it says, the, heaven, the highest heavens belong to God, but the earth is given to man, to humanity. We've been given a role down here. And he gave us this dominion to extend what we saw in Genesis 1. Genesis 1 was the way it's supposed to be. If you look at Revelation 21, it's the way it's going to be. And there's two trees. Two trees connect first and last chapter. And there's a tree of life and we end with the tree of life. The plan has actually never changed. And then that which was original is where it's going to end up one day. So that plan has never changed. So everything we see in the whole arc of the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21 is this one story that's centred around this whole idea of what is demonstrated in Eden, which is essentially paradise, which means to be with God or God with us. You'll know that language. Kingdom, it's all the same definition. Eden, paradise, kingdom, shalom. There are different ways to express this holiest of holy ideas of why this universe, that, as we know it, was created. And so we were invited to be rulers with him. This week on Thursday, um, Liam, I've got Liam to start sending us out now a discipleship formation email. Monday is a devotional one, but Thursday is all about really insightful teaching, predominantly at the moment from the Bible Project. And we talked a lot about what is gospel, what is the gospel of the kingdom. And if you haven't seen that, go back to that email, click on that. It's got a very short, very precise understanding of what Eden was all about, what kingdom was all about, and how God invites us to be kingdom and kings and priests with him. And the whole idea of kingdom and him inviting us to be rulers of this earth, to have godly dominion over it. This is one of the reasons why God initially pushed back when in the Old Testament they wanted to have a king. Israel said, we want to have a king. He said, why do you want to have a king? I'm the king and you are all kings. Because the problem with kings was kings called themselves gods with little g. He said, you've already got a god and kings tended to be the ones who defined right and wrong. I've already done all that. And and, and kings used to say, I am the image of a god. And God would say, well, I've already made a whole world of those made in the image of God. We don't need a king in that framework. That's why God pushed back on that. And he said, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me as their king. And so we were given that role as men and women together as equal co-regents in this living out of 
kingdom and shalom. And so what we saw in Genesis 1 with the garden, the garden had a wall around it. The role was, now you need to make it out there look more like here. So here is kingdom. Here is order as order should look. Out there is still somewhat chaotic. Our role was to make earth look more and more like heaven, like paradise, like Edom, like kingdom, like shalom. And shalom, and I'll just go straight to the first slide there. Um, Cornelius Plantigna, um, a great theologian, wrote a book just on this whole idea. And I've used this quote before, but it sums up the reason for human existence in shalom. It says, The webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfilment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets called shalom. We call it peace, but it means more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and saviour, opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Doesn't that sound fantastic? It's just the way things ought to be. And that's where we're going to head one day. It's inevitable. It's written. It will be done. That is our eternity, the way things ought to be. And our role here and now is to make things more and more as they ought to be. As it is in heaven, let it be on earth. It's, there is no greater endeavour than that. There never has been. There never will be. And the church of God, the local body of believers, are the representations, the wineskins of that incredible enterprise, which is the kingdom of God. I hope you feel a bit more uplifted about who you are right now. You've got the biggest job description there's ever been. And that's our role, from cradle to grave. Now, that's all very profound and that's all really exciting, but what about the politics in my workplace that cause me, mine don't cause me anxiety? I've got the perfect workplace. But uh, I know some of you are under great anxiety in work. Um, some of you need to work second jobs just to pay a power bill and a, and a lettuce these days. <laughs> you all know that, eh? I didn't know. I don't know how much a lettuce costs. I just heard that it's really expensive right now. Um, but some of you are going through deep, deep issues. And the whole idea of shalom, that is not your experience, certainly externally. Internally, maybe God's empowering you more and more to overcome, but perhaps your spouse is having an affair. Maybe you've lost your marriage, you're broke, alone, scorned, children rebelling, life's disrupted, and it's all you can do to survive. Anyone remember those days? Yeah, I think it was Thursday. <laughs> so what is shalom and this great calling us upon my life? What has that got to do with now in this world that's messed up, broken, and doesn't look like it's getting any better? How do you live out meaning in this real life. So what I want to do over the next few weeks is give you a framework for this of what does it look like on the outside of our life. We've dealt with the inside. What's the framework? And I'm going to do it in three layers, and today and possibly another message in this first layer because if we don't get this first layer right, the other layers won't matter much. But we tend to pay attention more to the higher levels of this conversation and ignore the foundation because it's all said and done. But this one, um, these layers are called what should be done. That's the foundation. That's what should be done on earth. There's what could be done by you. You're unique. You've got specific gifts and we all work together. What could be done by you? So there's the should, the could, and this final layer on top of all that is God's calling on you specifically. The thing that he's called you to be and, be and to become and calling is dynamic. Calling grows. Calling develops as you develop. 
And so it, it seems almost like an elusive thing that's not a line, it's not a job description, it's not a place that I've got to be at one day because your calling is not what you do, your calling is who you are. And so as you develop, this calling develops and God always calls you on and calls that gold out of you. The should, the could and the call. So today I want to talk about what should be. Layer one, the foundation. And I just want to, all I'm going to do is now quote Jesus because... Uh, he summed all this up better than anyone did before or since. And I just want to lay out these four purposes because these four purposes lay this foundation for what we're doing. And they're almost like four sides of a formwork in which God fills uh, that inner heart. This is the form, and we've talked about freedom previously. Purpose number one is to give your whole life and your, all your love to God. This is the premium, primary expression of shalom in your life. This is what kingdom looks like when a human being gets it right. All my life and all my love goes primarily to God. There's normally a bit left over, but primarily it goes to God. Long before Jesus, the Hebrews formed the centrepiece of their prayers. and their, So every day they would pray this similar prayer. It's called the Hebrew Shema, Hebrews 6. Uh, five and give or take a verse around there. The Lord your God is one. But in verse five, it says, the Lord your God, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. So you'll know this verse, Jesus quoted this when they came to him and said, what's the most important thing? We know the 615 laws. How do you sum this up? What does God require? And he quoted this verse first, Deuteronomy 6, five, love the Lord your God. You know, do that and, you, and you've done the whole lot. Wrap the whole thing up into one thing. And his point here was that whatever else you do right, so whatever else you do and all the things that you think your life requires of you, this is the one thing. Get this one right and the rest will tend to follow. But whatever else you do right, if we don't do this, it's wrong without this in our life. All the other stuff that we do, if we don't do this, we're, we're getting all the rest wrong. I've just noticed in every upgrade, and that's colloquial terminology, in every, in every season where I've sensed there's more coming in this life, it's time to go into this new path in, in my life, this new calling, this new level, however we want to describe it. And perhaps you know this sense where you go, there's more coming. And we, we picture that more as another step up. But what happens before that is God will always challenge us on this, because I'm talking there about level three, calling. But God will always remind me, and, and normally the people I talk to who, who experience this, he will bring us back to this foundation level. Foundation level and facet one, do, am I loving the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, strength and mind? And I'll be deeply challenged to let that whole idea of what can be go. I've got to let it go. Because if it matters to me now more than level number one, if I'm not concerning myself with what is concerning God about my life, then that can't happen because there's no foundation for it. And so it's, it's, I'm incited to rediscover and find a whole new way to engage with God, a whole new um, depth to my worship, a whole new uh, capacity for thanksgiving. And normally in the midst of my greatest trials and torments where the dogs of doom bark loudest at the door of destiny, I've used that before, that's the time to worship. That's the time that David worshipped in 1 Samuel 30 when he was only a week away from becoming king, his darkest moment, and that's where he had to find it moment to encourage himself in the Lord. How bad is life right now? It's probably the dogs of doom. Now's the time to bury yourself into thanksgiving and worship for who God is because the doors are about to open. 
It's all about, but it all depends how strong is your heart and why does that even matter in the first place? Because if it doesn't come from this whole life that's given over in sacrificial worship to God, worship that costs me, I won't give to God that which costs me nothing. That's David's heart. Why else do you think he became their first great king? Because his heart was all about God. It wasn't about his failures and what he brought to the table. It was none of that. His heart was in the right place. So every significant door, I've been challenged by this again. Get back into your closet. Get back into worship. You know, life's never gone better for me circumstantially in, in many ways. But this week, under, under pressure from many circles, the greatest joy in my life is I've had, and, I, and this isn't a bragging, this is just a reality, three-hour quiet time, six days a week. Because you, you can't be too busy not to pray. You know, if you try and do this stuff without God, what are you doing? It's probably not his calling. And so this is a challenge. It's got to come from within. We fill hearts and that fuels mission. This is where it all happens. He asks me the questions regularly. Am I enough, Pat? Am I enough for you? Even if you don't get the breakthrough, will you worship me in the middle of the storm or just when the storm's over and say, thanks, God? Will you serve me in the small or do you need it to be big? Do you need a title? Do you need a job? Or would you do this anyway? And your heart can't stand under that pressure. You've got to give it all up. You've got to let God have his way. Love the Lord your God with all, you, all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and nothing else will matter. And that's the only way you're qualified to do the next thing. See, this is where the heart of service is born. This is where Christian life is born. It's not from theology school. It's from entheos. It's from getting myself locked away. Hours before the sun comes up and just going, Lord, it's just you and me, like it's always been. How does, how does this work out? And we ask ourselves the questions. Who determines where your passions lie? Who do you defer to for what you do? What prioritises my budget and my time and and what fills my heart the most. So before we consider anything else on all of this, you've got to stop right here. You've got to not be prepared to move on until this one, you can't even really square it away. you just got to be truthful with yourself. Is, am I loving the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, strength and mind? Because all the other concerns are sidetracks in our life. We've got to find the truth Am I living from entheos? Am I living from this God within today? And go on a retreat if you have to. Don't move on until you know. And this too is a journey in life. It's, it grows. But uh, allow yourself to be honest about that. Purpose number two. Looks like I've only got time for two today. It's all good. Jesus said the second one's like the first, so maybe this will be a bit quicker. Um, so Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6.5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. And the second one is like it, he would say, love your neighbour as yourself. So purpose number two is to treat all people well in ESV, uh, Kenmore Church, modern day language. Treat all people, everybody well. I marvel at this, you know, because he had plenty of laws to choose from. And he was talking to Hebrews. So he could have picked the Sabbath. He could have picked adultery. He could have gone holiness, you know, get your act together. Start behaving yourself. He could have picked murder. That's a pretty big one. You know, he could have picked anything. But he said, love your neighbour as yourself. 
He could have said, care for the planet, go to church, uh, give your tithe, all the stuff that matters to preachers like me. He didn't go there. He didn't touch that. But he wanted to focus on what matters to God and what's supposed to matter to us. People of all types. So love God with all your heart. And in the wake of that engine will always be the loving people. And to make the point, if you read on whenever he does this, he talks into the Good Samaritan because the Jews go, well, who's my neighbour? You know, Jews talking to Jews in the time, Hebrew of Hebrews, all that kind of stuff. And Jesus gives a story of the Good Samaritan. Who's my neighbour? Oh, let me talk about the person you hate the most. Let's, let's just focus there and debrief on that a little bit. And I marvelled at that because what Jesus was doing, Christian brothers and sisters, was de-objectifying the enemy. Because it's easy to get an enemy. You know that person that you hate? Oh, no, you don't hate them. But what you do, like me, is you think about them all the time. That thing that they did that drives you nuts. I'm so angry about that. And if I got my chance again to argue with them, I'd say this and that. And it'll put them in their place. Let me practice that again. (laughs) That's hate. That's hate. That's objectifying your enemy. It's turned, they're not a person anymore, are they? They're just that thing that that person disagrees with everyone. If I was giving this message in the Ukraine right now, I'd say, let's tell the story about the good Russian. No, can't talk about that. They're all evil. What do they do? They, they will objectify them, just like we, we objectified the races that were against us in the Second World War. They're no longer humans with families and thoughts and cares and broken hearts. They're an object now. And Jesus is taking that and he's, and he's de-objectifying their enemy. Well, let's talk about what a neighbour is. It's that person that could be the person that's against you, that's against R.I. It's an atheist. It's a church hater. Could even be a Baptist. No. Um, I'm a Baptist, I can say. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Pentecostal. I used to be an atheist, so I can, I can have a go at all of us. It's okay. But... He de-objectifying and he made them human and he made them into someone who's real and caring and saying they can love too. I loved it in the, the late 80s, I think it was, when Sting had that song called Do the Russians Love Their Children Too? De-objectifying our enemy. Who's your enemy? Who's the person that you love to hate? They can love too. They probably do. And we can love them. Who's our neighbour? They're not objects. They're people, any person. And the best thing we can do with one is to spend time with them because that person that we vilify in our mind, we're objectifying them. How about we deconstruct that objectification and love our enemies? Go and find the person that offends you the most and spend some time with them. Build some bridges based on some commonality. They've got souls that hurt too. Things matter to them too. So why did Jesus say this law is like the first? He put these two so close together. And I think it's because love overcomes every force. Love is more powerful than anything. So if you love God, this is his point, you won't want to sin. They're looking for all the sin stuff. He's saying, love God with all your God. But if you love God that much, you won't want to do anything wrong because you think, oh, how could I dare do anything that would offend this relationship? Love God with a full heart, it's going to fuel your mission. If you love people, there's no way you're going to discriminate them or abuse them or objectify them. And so Jesus could sum up all the law and the prophets as being fulfilled in these two things. That would have been a great message, the rest of it. All right. We only get one shot at life. 
it's going to suck. Life is going to be hard. It's going to be complicated. It's going to annoy you. It's going to do all that. But we need to realise it's a form of my life. So you can look at these two, and I'll bring the next two as an intro to the next message. You can look at these, and you can skip them by and go, oh, no, I've heard that before. And the trouble with all of us is we've heard it so often, we can just nod our head at it now. You go, yeah, I know that. Squared away, done. But we need to keep coming back. And this is, this is everything. Jesus said, just do those two, and you've got it right. And all he was doing was answering a legal question with a legal answer. He was just using the law to do it. But we get one shot at this life. Are we going to do what matters or are we going to do what the culture tells us to do and just live for everything else because there's no greater cause to get our attention? But we can deposit our life into things and people and, and causes that really matter. Maybe it'll change your job. Maybe it won't. Maybe it, but maybe it will reframe the way you go to work in the morning. So this engineering practice, this corporation, this consultancy, this school, this family, it's all busted up, it's broken. Culture sucks, it's terrible, it's just whining and whinging, we're not doing anything worthwhile. What am I doing here? You can think about it like that or you can think, I am an agent of shalom. I'm an agent of the kingdom. I've been given authority to make this deconstructed thing look like the kingdom of God. I've been given all authority to do that. You have authority to walk through those places when no one's there and call down God's spirit to bring kingdom influence into that place, to call his angels to give you a hand, to get in there and bring love where there's bitterness, to bring forgiveness where there's resentment, to bring honour and hope where there's criticism. Thy kingdom come as it is in heaven, let it be in this workplace for 10 hours a day, or eight, whatever it is you spend there. And you can change that place because God has given you all authority to do that. And that's what it looks like to live out your purpose. Could I get us all to stand and pray just to uh, work with me on this one? Just let's stand and come before the Lord on this. And Holy Spirit, I just invite you and invite the team to come up as well. Now what I want to do, let's, let's just come before. Well, now we're standing before God's throne now. We're in his presence. There's no hiding. It's church. It's okay to be honest here. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands or anything like that. I want to do something a bit different. If you have these two squared away, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, if you reckon you're doing that, if you, can, if you look deep in your heart and say, I could not love God anymore. I could not set him on a higher priority. I could not give any more of my time and my passions or anything. I could not do anymore. If that's you uh, and if you feel like you're loving all your neighbours the way we've just described, can you please sit down because this isn't going to apply to you. I didn't, sorry, I didn't mean that to be a joke, but um, Jesus, if you're here, you can sit down. You know, it's like. If you know it isn't as it should be, but you don't want to change that, let's be really honest. If you know you're not doing well in these two things, but you don't want to do anything about it, I'll give you permission to sit down too, in all honesty. There's no shame here. We accept everyone. Everyone's on a journey. But if, you, if you're okay with this, then you sit down, please. But if you would like to, to recalibrate, then please stay standing. And Father, we come before you. I'm standing up. Lord, we recognise and we choose to confess we haven't loved you as we ought. We haven't loved people as we ought. We've run out of steam. 
And we probably haven't been able to love, Lord, because at the end of the day, it's because we haven't really found our love in You as it should, because one follows the other. So we look back another step and we say, Lord, we need to love You more. Will You help us? We can't even do that, Lord, without faith. Lord, when we get up in the morning, our mind is full of all the burdens and all the routines of the day. We need You to help us, Holy Spirit. So will You now just in our mind's eye speak to us, Holy Spirit, and show us what's the one thing this week that needs to change in order for me to love You more? Now, perhaps it's something you need to stop doing. Perhaps it's something you should start doing. Perhaps it's just an attitude. Perhaps it's just unbelief. You just don't believe in Him enough anymore. So do in your mind's eye now the great exchange and trade that which needs to go for that which needs to come. If it's unbelief, Lord, will You give us faith? If I'm too selfish, will You give me generosity? If I'm too distracted, will You give me focus? If I can't hear You, will You give me a spirit of revelation? Lord, where I judge, will You give me the grace to forgive? Where I'm broken, Lord, will You fill my heart so that I'm whole again? Where I'm chaos, will You bring peace? Where I'm jealous, will You bring love? Where I'm ambitious, will You bring humility? And where I'm grasping, will You give me thankfulness? Lord, we rely on You to even rely on You. But Father, we choose to do that. And we just say, come Holy Spirit and make this life that You've called us to possible. We can't do it without You. In this house of miracles, do a miracle in our heart. In Jesus' Name.